The Food and Drug Administration has proposed some revisions to the nutrition facts label that appears on packaged foods in the United States, requiring the inclusion of information about added sugar, for instance, and the adjustment of standard serving sizes to reflect the actual eating habits of contemporary Americans. If the ultimate goal is to reduce the rates of obesity and related illnesses, what else should the FDA be doing? I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with David Kessler, Professor of Pediatrics and Epidemiology and Biostatistics at the University of California, San Francisco School of Medicine, and a former commissioner of the FDA. Dr. Kessler has written a perspective article on more comprehensive food labeling. Dr. Kessler, when you were FDA commissioner, the agency developed the current Nutrition Facts Label as required by the Nutrition Labeling and Education Act of 1990. Can you give us a little history? What were the food labeling standards like up to that point, and then what was the impetus for that new law? The food label was referred to before we did the Nutrition Facts panel as the Tower of Babel. Manufacturers, food companies, put anything they wanted on the label. There was some ingredient label that disclosed the ingredients in very, very small fonts and scientific words the average consumer could not understand. But it was the Wild West. Anything went. So the manufacturers were touting the benefits of their products, and there was very little standardization. And today, why is the FDA proposing revisions to the current Nutrition Facts label? We worked very hard back 20 years to give the consumer reliable information that they could use. One day, someone came back and said, we just won the Presidential Design Award by the National Endowment for the Arts. And I said, what? And what I didn't realize from a design perspective was that that Nutrition Facts panel had become almost iconic. It was recognized by a vast majority of Americans. It was used by a majority. And it conveyed a lot of information in a little amount of space. But that was 20 years ago. And there are certain refinements. The label will still look primarily the same way. Much of the label will be the same. But there are some important updates. Calories will be bigger. This is the size of the font, obviously, with the increase in obesity over the last two decades. And as you mentioned, there will be information on how much added sugar there is in the food, as well as updates on serving size. So view the nutrition facts proposal that FDA is making now as sort of an update. It's not an entire revision. It still builds on those foundations. But I think that those changes are good. With regard to sugar, you note in your article that the new emphasis on that is in part a response to our evolving understanding of the way that sugar promotes overeating. Can you tell us a bit about the science behind that emphasis? Take the vanilla milkshake. What's in a vanilla milkshake? There's sweetness, there's fat, and flavor. If I asked you what drove eating, what was the motivational force, when you really studied it scientifically, when you looked and saw what is the most reinforcing, what would an animal or a human work the most for, what do you think it is? You think it's the sweetness? You think it's the fat? You think it's the flavor? What's your guess, Steve? I would have guessed fat, but I suspect you're going to tell me that it's sugar. It is the sweetness. Sweetness is the main driver. But when you add fat to it, it's synergistic. So I used to think that I was eating for nourishment, that I was eating 
sustain myself. I didn't realize that I was eating to stimulate myself. The fact is, today we know that fat, sugar, and salt stimulate intake. And added sugars, at the core, if our diet was not as sweet as it was, in fact, it's the sweetest in the world, we would be consuming less calories. It's, the fact is, sweetness at its core stimulates. In another perspective article, Silvetsky and Dietz raise concerns about sugar substitutes and the claims that manufacturers make about them. Do you share their concern about non-nutritive sweeteners and whether their contribution to the development of a sweet tooth will again lead to obesity? I think they're very legitimate points. I think there's much we do not understand. No doubt that sweetness drives consumption. It's analogous, I want to be careful, because I don't mean to be inflammatory in any way, but it's almost like the new nicotine cigarettes. If you have the reinforcing property, right, either sweetness or nicotine, and you don't have as much of the baggage, either the calories or the tar, which causes much of the harm, it's really a question of harm reduction. So I've given this a great deal of thought. Would we be better off not consuming any of it? Sure. But is there less harm from a public health perspective if we provide the sweetness without the calories? I think for the last several decades, that's been the general assumption. But I think we still have a lot more to learn. More generally, how do you think nutrition-related claims, reduced calorie, zero trans fats, have affected U.S. consumption of these products? We know that 50% of consumers use the nutrition facts panel, or say they do. Can I tell you exactly what that translates into in reduced health burden? No. But we do know that information, reliable information, has value to consumers, and they say so. I mean, that really goes to the nutrition facts information. The problem is giving information in percent daily values or in grams, I mean, even when I look at information, do we really conceptualize, because it's in metrics and we didn't grow up in it, really what 32 grams really means? And many Americans still, when they look at that nutrition fact, really don't comprehend it. So we have to find better ways of conveying nutrition information. Now, FDA did standardize some terms like low fat and light and set certain ground rules. It didn't set the definition for all terms. So there's still some confusion. I mean, let's face it, up until now, the front of the package has really been the province of the manufacturer, and they've been free to tout the benefits. And that's one of the issues that I've tried to address in this perspective. In fact, to continue with that, you recommend in your article these new front-of-package labels. And what you suggest is that the first three ingredients be listed, the calories per serving be listed, and then the number of additional ingredients in the product. How did you arrive at those three elements? First principle is that I wanted to keep it simple. And I, I wanted the vast majority of Americans to be able to look at it and understand it. So I didn't want to use grams. I didn't want to use complex scientific names. I wanted it to stand out so it would be on the front of package. It would have the right kind of font and the right kind of graphics. And you really have to look at the figure that we published in this article. 
people to see, but you want it to pop so the consumers will see it. You ask what's important, what's key, not to get rid of the nutrition facts panel, leave that on the back. But it's very interesting that over the last several decades, I became concerned that we're just looking at the macronutrients. In some ways, we're just looking at the chemicals. And you could have a nutrition facts panel that's low in fat, low in salt, low in sugar, and it looks good, it's low in everything, but when you really look at what's in the food, it's not really food, it has no nutrition. So the question is whether the nutrition facts panel really focused on the food or really was so reductionistic that we missed the point. So I wanted to keep it simple, first rule, and I wanted to focus on what was really in the food. And I wanted to, I think, calories with obesity. We wanted to give emphasis. So very simple, very clean label. And if you really want to know what makes up the food, the first three ingredients give you a pretty good sense. That's really the pivotal ingredients end up being three. We can argue, should it be three, should it be four, should it be five? But again, by the time you know the first three ingredients, it really is eye-opening. If you look at the first three ingredients and it's just fat and sugar and it doesn't look like there's any real food there, there's no fruits or vegetables, that's pretty eye-opening. So what I wanted to do was to appeal to people who may not have the sophistication or the understanding to read the Nutrition Facts panel in great depth and provide them with some very basics of what's in the food. Do you think the FDA could successfully impose that sort of requirement for front-of-package labeling on manufacturers? Yes. I've studied the legal authority. I think FDA does have the legal authority. It would need to establish a record. It would need to go through what's called notice and comment rulemaking. It's a fancy term, but it would have to put out a proposal, get comments, establish a record. And I'm not saying this is the exact front-of-package label that should be adopted in the end. We need to do consumer testing. We need to have other ideas. But can we focus on what's actually in the food? And can we do it in a simple, clean way that everyone can understand? That was my goal. Finally, and more broadly, what more do you think pediatricians, primary care physicians, other clinicians can do to shift the American diet in a healthier direction? I think that's a wonderful question. Certainly, I think when back in my training, and I look back at my ability to counsel on these questions, I wasn't really trained very well in how to help people who struggle with their eating. I went to a, gave a lecture in the American Society of Bariatric Physicians, and I remember saying to them, let me describe three characteristics. A hard time controlling your eating, right? a hard time stopping, a preoccupation of thinking about foods. I said, how many of your patients that you treat have those three characteristics? And you can see in the audience, people said, that's the vast majority of our patients have those three characteristics. It's a hard time controlling their eating, hard time stopping, preoccupation. And then I said, what do you think's causing that? And I still remember the answer that somebody said in the audience, we never thought about that. Because, you know, we've always been trained in physiology, in energy metabolism. But the main dynamics of why do I do think and feel and things that I wished I didn't do think and feel, I think if you look at the vast majority of preventable 
morbidity and mortality. I mean, that's really at the core. So the psychology, the multidisciplinary nature of being able to answer that question, I think we're really only beginning to address. So there's, in some ways, there's a whole new science here. Thank you, Dr. Kessler.